Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for tuning in, thanks for downloading, thanks for listening. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast for shining a light on bright ideas. And today, we are back in the world of college admissions. And you guys were getting part two with Rick Clark, who some of you met on one of my earlier podcasts. And Rick, it is so great to have you back on the ContenderCast. Hey, thanks for having me, Justin. Looking forward to the conversation. I love it. And I can't even believe we're like five minutes from each other and we're not in person doing this interview. (laughs) And I hate that, but we needed to knock it out. So I'm just glad we're together. All good. Yeah. So um, for those who don't remember, Rick, he is the director of admissions at Georgia Tech and also the author of a brand new book, The Truth About College Admission, A Family Guide to Getting In and Staying Together. I love it. That's right. I love it. It's very loving. Um, I'm excited to talk to you about the book, Rick. For all of you that have not listened to part one with my interview with Rick, I would say push pause here. Go back. Check that out because we played this really, really fun game called That's Not How It Works. (laughs) (laughs) It was so funny. I had so much fun doing that with you, Rick. I mean, seriously, that was amazing. (laughs) <laughs> Always good, man. That's a it's a good one to play. That's it's a not good game. How it work game. It's not how it works. <laughs> For sure. I mean, yep. we could. I, I mean, we could probably spend a whole another time talking about that. But um, today we're talking about your new book. Um, again, the truth about college mission, family guide to getting in and staying together. So, okay, talk about Rick. How did you decide to write this book? And then, what were some of the things that came together to say, you know, what? I think we have something here we should publish. Well, I'll tell you, it came out of just watching this cycle repeat itself year after year and seeing some of those kind of pitfalls or roadblocks or what we call wedges that sort of come between families Um, and feeling like, you know, there's just a better way to approach this whole college admission experience. And, uh, we use that word pretty intentionally. A lot right. of people call it a process, um, but I feel like it, it is more of an experience um, and that kind of <laughs> changes how people go about it. Um, and, you know, a lot of times what you get is, you know, you get an admission person who did this work for a couple of years and then they go away and t- it's like a tell all or uh, some, you know, a journalist who comes in, spends a little bit of time and then kind of, you know, tells what's really happening behind the scenes. But I think because people like me are so busy, uh, it's rare to get someone who's you know sitting in the desk making decisions, watching it happen to actually write about the reality. And so this is just supposed to be a more kind of healthy, balanced approach. Uh, and I wrote it with a friend of mine who, Brennan Bernard's his name. He writes for Forbes, uh, works both at Harvard and also at a prep school in New Hampshire. And so we call this both sides of the desk, but the idea is (laughs) he's on the ground, right? Day to day with the families. And I'm sort of, you know, I'm like a drive by, you know, I'm, I'm sort of partly engaged with the families, (laughs) but I'm also giving the institutional side of how decisions are made. And it really, for us, it's just about perspective. Honestly, if I boiled it down to one word, it'd be that, um, family and perspective. Well, I love that. And uh, share with our audience again, your current role um, as director of admissions and just the scope of what you do day to day. Sure. 
Yeah, my job is basically to help Georgia Tech fulfill its mission from an enrollment standpoint on the undergrad side. And so basically what we're doing is listening to what our president, provost, and deans are are saying they want um, and sort of responding also to what we hear from corporate America uh, and listening to, okay, what are the type of students we want on our campus to enrich that experience? But then let's also be, you know, mindful and intentional about, you know, the type of students we're trying to produce for career and to push out into society really to, you know, fulfill Georgia Tech's mission, this idea of improving the human condition, this motto of progress and service. And so all of that really reverse engineers back into admission, um, trying to choose the right students to come and create that ethos on campus so then our folks can work with them to to get that result ultimately. I love that. And of course, I love George Tech being an IE at Tech in 1996. And uh, of course, you and I, Rick, did Leadership Georgia together. So it's been fun getting to know you and seeing you kind of in your role, but then like seeing this book come to life. It's been really cool. So um, lots of listeners out there either have kids or have kids that are starting to look at colleges. Um, it seems like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just went through it, you know, with my two bonus kids that are amazing. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, the process seems like it's gotten more stressful and more tenuous and not as simple. Um, and I don't know, there's probably a couple key reasons for that, but it just didn't, it, it seems like, for example, in the state of Georgia now, I mean, like it's gotten really hard to get into kind of your core state colleges and that's bred, for example, in our state, like the uprising of many other colleges now. But what have been some of the big shifts though over the last couple of years in this space? And then we'll jump into the elements of the book here. Well, you're right. I mean, the number, first of all, just in Georgia, we've had growth. So there are more high school graduates. Uh, there are and, and have been, you know, more people producing more talent around the state. So just functionally, admission kind of comes down to one of two principles, in this case, supply and demand. So, <laughs> you know, the, seats that you have, and, and I always kind of parallel this to, to making soup, right? You know, this, the bowl size at the University of Georgia is, <laughs> is, is big, right? It's, I don't know, 5,500, let's say, first-year students coming into the University of Georgia. Um, so that's not really changing a whole lot. I mean, they and, and we too are limited by physical space, the number of professors. You know, you uh, don't want to blow up your faculty-student ratios, there's only so many dorms and housing. You can only feed so many people daily. So, you know, there are some limitations, especially to a traditional education. Now, obviously, there's all kinds of models creeping in with online, online and hybrid, sure. and all of that. Yep. But if you talk about just what people envision as, you know, I'm going to come through this traditional high school experience and move on to college, the size of these undergrad populations is not keeping up with the demand um, that we're producing. And, and then you couple that with, you know, again, go back to both UGA as well as Georgia Tech, which a lot of people are focused on in our state, and the reputations. And this is, I think, a credit to the alumni. Um, you know, people are going out and doing good work. And so, therefore, you know, you got a UGA alum living in Boston or a Georgia Tech alum living in Seattle. Well, they're proliferating that brand. And now you have more people from all over the country and, and really all over the world looking here in a new way, um, beyond whatever was the case, honestly, even five or 10 years ago. So 
not only do you have, you know, growing population in our state, more talent in our state, but that's also true, you know, nationally sure. and internationally. Yeah, well. I was going to say, I mean, for, we have a lot of listeners that aren't in Georgia, and, it, you know, for those that aren't in Georgia, it's really been fascinating. Watch the last couple of years. You know, those are your two, as you mentioned, Georgia, Georgia Tech, biggest colleges in the state, or actually most, I'd say, well known brands in the state, not necessarily biggest. Um, but now what that's done is because of the limitations there, it's, it's led to increases in the brand and reputation and students and, and, and whatnot of schools like Georgia State, like Kennesaw State, like Georgia College. Out-of-state colleges are now offering near in-state tuition in Alabama and South Carolina and Tennessee and Florida. I mean, it's really an interesting model or interesting, you know, I, I, it's just interesting to watch it play out. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, that's what, you know, on the flip side of that, in some of our surrounding states, you've got declining population. And so they're coming to Atlanta, you know, a growth market for that. And you, you see this around the country, as you said, you know, depending on where people are listening in from. Um, but, you know, that's the thing, right, is people believe that all these schools are the same, doing things the same. That's part of what brings some stress is we're really not, you know, we're all trying to fulfill that mission, which is the other part of uh, admission, right? It's supply and demand is one thing. And then you've got like, what's your mission? What's your institutional priorities? Uh, and then that dictates admission decisions also. Absolutely. Well, um, what I love about your book is it helps anyone navigate the entire process. And it doesn't matter if which state you're in or what college you're looking at. There are elements of the college admission process that are core and foundational and and you know that are, are things you, that everyone's going to have to go through. Um, the process can be stressful. I, I've noticed more people talking about colleges and the process earlier, you know, with kids that are in late middle school, early high school versus just in their sophomore, junior year. And so what I think is cool about this book is it really helps, you know, kind of navigate that. So um, let's dive in. So um, as I looked at, through how you structured things, what I thought was funny in part one is you ask a question of, why are you going to college? <laughs> and I was right. like, wow, that's a good question. I mean, I don't yeah. know that everyone thinks about that when they're starting to think about college. Oh, man. I mean, in <laughs> fact, I would say almost no one does. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, again, it sort of depends on your environment, right? If you, right. If you come from a family um, where there's value put on education and higher education, if you go to a school community where that's the case, you're taking AP classes, like even as a freshman in, in high school, or, or to your point, like a seventh grader, like, you know, you're wearing hoodies of colleges, you're, you're <laughs> talking about that so early on. And yep. it's just like a foregone conclusion. And so, yeah, that's what we really tell people to do is listen, you know, don't don't walk before you crawl. I mean, you know, you can't get talking about where until you first start thinking about, okay, why? Uh, and if you ask that question, and, and almost no one does, but if you'll ask that question of like, why am I going? What do I really want out of this? And then another big question is just like, who am I? I mean, and these are big questions, right? Oh for a gosh, these are boy. bold for, you know, <laughs> these are <laughs> high schoolers. Right? That's the whole point is, uh, I think the anxiety comes because people just like laser focus in on one place or this small set of schools without asking those other questions. And, you know, you start feeling like you're on this tightrope and things are real narrow. And we're trying to broaden people's minds and say, look, if you ask big questions and you get broad, your arms kind of start naturally opening up. You start breathing a little bit more and thinking, there's a lot of options out there, you know? And uh, I think the stress comes when people get on that on that tightrope and start thinking, oh man, if I if I don't get 40 points higher, if I get a B, then I'm going to fall off this tightrope and not get to this place 
without really asking like, why do you want to go to the no college question. anyway? And, you know, is that the right place? Yeah. I love that. Well, and you know, I, I know we've talked before. I went to a school in Tampa called Berkeley prep school and, um, I was only there a couple of years, but I look at that time there as like a game changer for me. And I'll tell you why, because the college admissions counselor there challenged me and others in my class, by the way, to not just apply to University of Florida and Florida State, but because I liked math and science to look at Georgia Tech and NC State and Boston University and like some other schools that were like, what? I mean, I... I mean, all I, I just didn't I didn't have any concept of that. Whereas the school I was at prior, nice, really good school, um, that wasn't how it was. Kind of everyone went to wherever their friends had gone, or they, you know, it was kind of group group think on college admissions. How important is the college admissions counselor versus you know other influencers? I mean, I think this is one of the things that's unfortunate right now. If you kind of look around the country, like the average ratio in schools is. Uh, like pushing 500 to one. Um, and, you know, that's really kind of a travesty because even those people that are in those schools, I mean, they're, they're juggling all kinds of other things. Now, at a place like Berkeley Prep and, and a lot of the places that, you know, I'm sure some of your listeners have kids, like those ratios are a lot smaller. And that's a huge, you know, blessing, I would say. I mean, it's a great opportunity to have someone there who, spends their time sometimes traveling to see these places and understands, you know, fit, like you said, and, and match, which is so key. And, and to be honest with you, that's also one of the reasons we wrote this book. I was the chair of a government relations committee um, through this national organization. And that's really when I came you know, fully aware of these ratios. And we decided, you know what, if we write a book like this for a family, then they may not have you know that kind of close access to a counselor, but this these are the basics. These are the things that those type of counselors tell kids. And to your point, and I think maybe in chapter two we talk about this, but you know, there's this like we talk a lot about look beyond what you see, right? Instead of where do all the kids from my school go? Or well, my brother went there, or my parents went there, or right. all the kids from my soccer team or calculus exactly. class. You know, like it must be stay good school then. Right. Yeah. And, you know, um, what I think is ironic is a lot of these kids and families know they're getting barraged by people <laughs> like me. You know, I mean, we, we are sending all kinds of stuff to them, all these glossy, shiny brochures of smiley, happy kids. And, you know, it's, it becomes like an annoyance. I mean, I've seen students show me their email and it's absurd, really, how many emails they're getting from colleges. And so they get sort of annoyed by it. But what we try to you know, flip their thinking on is that's just a, it's just helping you remember how many choices you have. And that again, is so key, um, you know, to your point, just again, stay broad and keep that perspective. You talk about, yeah. And you did in chapter two is creating a college list and planning visits, which, um, you know, so important. You before that though, you talked about remapping the admissions landscape. And when you talk about remapping, what is it that you mean by that in terms of thinking about the admissions process? Yeah. I mean, the idea here is, um, you know, the, the sort of common narrative is 
it's impossible to get into college, you know? Um, and even if you do get in, you can't afford to go anyway, you know, come out with a bunch of debt. Right. Um, and I think the reason for that, I was a, I was a public relations major at Chapel Hill and, you know, the rule one of journalism, you know, it's like, if it bleeds, it leads. So <laughs> when, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, if you look at that, it's so true for college admission, like who are you going to write about? You're going to write right. about Stanford, you know, because, it, that's if it bleeds, it leaves right there. They've got like a negative 0.083 admit rate. Oh my uh, they, you know, they, they, uh, they deny kids that don't even apply. They just email them. They're like, Hey, you didn't get in. Not kids like, I didn't even, I didn't even apply. Like, yeah, yeah. Still not in. But you know, and so people start to hear Princeton and Harvard, they start to think that that's the norm. Right. And that's, that's the anomaly. And so in, in that chapter, we say, look, the average admit rate nationally is about 65%. Um, and we actually give some pretty good data and sources in there that show like, you should be focused on remembering that the majority of schools and good schools uh, who have great return on investment, big networks for alumni, tons of guys, you know, who are Fortune 500 CEOs, uh, you know, with high admit rates and also high retention rates. And we talk about that too. Oh, like interesting. This idea of like, what is, what is good mean? Right. Um, it's not necessarily correlated just to admit rate. And, you know, I've really lived that at Georgia Tech because you know, when I got there, we were admitting like 60 plus percent of kids. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. And, and this year we admitted basically 20% of kids. Um, but retention but has looked, increased dramatically. I mean, I know since I right. was there, right. It's true. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, we're we're at like a 97% retention rate, which is great and a good question for people to ask if, you know, if if you've got listeners who are, you know, got kids that are juniors and they're visiting schools, like that's a great question to ask is, you know, what's your retention rate and and if they say, "All right, it's, you know, 90%." Well, why are you losing students, you know? And and sometimes it's great reasons and totally logical and then other times you can start to put your finger on you know, some of the weaknesses maybe of that school. So that's really where I think people should be focused is kind of keeping that perspective again on most schools admit most students. Um, And there's a lot of places out there also who um, are in fact, even showing you on their websites, how much aid they're going to give. Like you referenced earlier. Right. um, It's prescriptive now. In Alabama, right? Like, you know, some of these sliding scales at Auburn and great school producing great alums. uh, And they will tell you straight up, you make this GPA and this ACT, like we're going to give you this amount of money. (laughs) So we're we're trying to just like, again, (laughs) recenter people on the, the fact that, Hey, there's a lot of 4,000 schools in the country. Um, and you, you have more choices than people often remember. That's so true. Um, you know, one of the biggest questions parents ask, um, and their kids, <laughs> I know you always say the, the kids have got to own it. It seems like the parents, yeah. the parents have got to be a big part. Um, yep. what are we going to do? Are we going to fill out the application? Are we going to go on the, anyway, it's just funny. Um, a flashback to our last podcast. Okay. Um, <laughs> what are colleges looking for? Um, whether it be academically or things outside of, outside of school, you know, sports and whatnot, mm-hmm. what are you finding there as, as being trends and things that others need to be thinking about? Yeah, I think that, you know, essentially, and we, we break this down a little bit, but there's, there's two ways that colleges make admission decisions. Um, one of those is 
just a straight formulaic process. And this goes back to supply and demand. If you have uh, you know, a limited set of students applying and enough spots to basically accommodate a, a high percentage of those, you can basically use numbers to make your decisions. So, you know, we give a couple examples in California and Iowa and Georgia and other places that say, look, on their site, they will tell you, here's the formula. There's, to your point from earlier, like, there's no stress in that. Like, if you can do the math of the formula, you know before you apply, right, right that you're in. And um, if you can't do the math of the formula, that's a good indication you probably shouldn't be going to college anyway, but that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, um, basic addition, pretty important. Um, so if the school, however, is, you know, one of those that's receiving, you know, basically more applications than they have spots, they're going to get into what you'll start to hear a lot if you're a parent of a, you know, sophomore, junior is this holistic admission, right? And, and basically what that means is the numbers start to fail you pretty fast. Um, we're, we're a good example of this at Georgia Tech, but you just take any any school that's got like below a 50% admit rate and you can basically, you know, understand that, yeah, everybody's got good pretty good test scores. Everybody's got pretty good grades. They're, they're prepared. They could come and do fine academically. So, you know, people like me are judged on that. Can you enroll people who are going to do well there academically? And then maybe you're in a luxury position to say, well, all right, then it's not just about academic performance. Let's, let's build a class here. That's going to totally stretch and push <laughs> each other. That's going to, you know, totally. go into diverse work, all that. So then we start to say, and anybody in a company can understand this or anybody that you know, runs a team or coaches a team understands like this is all about complementary skills and talents. And so that's what we get into. And that is this idea of, all right, what's your impact been outside the classroom? Not just checking boxes, not just being involved, but like what kind of influence have you had? And so when you get to that section, you know, it's often called like extracurricular, you know, involvement. That's what we're really asking. And I think this is where admission people often don't do a good job. Like when people go to uh, college fairs or someone comes to their high school or they go to a college, like they'll tell you how they make decisions, but they're not really telling you what the conversations are behind the scenes. And that's really what we're asking. I mean, I was in committee all day yesterday. That's really what we were talking about is what kind of an influencer is this kid and what kind of impact they had. Um, the biggest thing that I think for a parent or someone listening to this, the question we're asking really is like, when this kid leaves, will they be missed? Ah, um, interesting. You know, will they be missed? That's an by, interesting question. And and that's really what we're trying to glean. You know, um, not just have they, you know, been in the French club or you know, <laughs> volunteered. <laughs> like, you know, kind of like, who cares in right. a way? But do we see impact? And when they leave, is that going to leave kind of a hole in their community? Because if that's true that means they're going to bring all of that to us and they're going to fundamentally improve everything where we are too. So Absolutely. Um, that's a big thing for us. And, and, you know, obviously they're writing and, and kind of getting a sense of, you know, what are they, what are they excited about? What, you know, where, where is their passion kind of lie um, within the, within the writing, but. And what, are, where do the essays fit into this? I mean, it's, you know, you get the metrics in on the, the test scores and grades, which, you know, you know, you probably start drawing some lines there, but like, and you see activities, but where, where does the essay really come in? And I mean, how does that, how do those really impact or how do they get processed when there's so many? Yeah. Well, so we, we read, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and when I say we, I mean, collectively, like this is very true around the country. 
a lot of people reading 40, 50 applications a day, um, you know, and they're, they're taking the time to read those essays. Sure. Um, we make notes off of those essays. I mean, one misconception is like, we're just sitting there looking for a bunch of comma splices and making sure that, <laughs> you know, it's just grammatically Grim. perfect. And Which is really matters. no excuse to not have that given all the tools that are out there today. True. Totally. So that's not our focus. Um, it is far more, um, you know, trying to, again, get a sense like, on those topics, kids get choice. Like there's five different options, let's say, for them to choose from. So what do they choose? And then are they the test of the essay to us is really like, is this someone who can articulate their point in a limited amount of time? And right. especially for people listening to your podcast, I mean, they they get this, right? This is about pitch. Um, <laughs> this so is true. about so you know, true. I mean, and it it extends out. So you know, a lot of times, again, thinking like, what's the question we're really asking? Like, we want this kid writing like a 25-year-old instead of an 18-year-old. Um, you know, does their voice come through as, you know, having some real, you know, self-awareness that's different than the kind of normal 17 or 18-year-old? So, um, we don't need the voice of a 45-year-old, uh, right, you know, and, and and we definitely can get a sense when it's that. Um but I think in, I'm sure. Can you tell when the parents are writing versus the kids? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know that's it's like uh, somebody broke out a thesaurus and you know put a bunch of multisyllabic words in there. Oh my god! <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, but those are those are some of the key things that were that we're kind of focused on beyond the numbers, um, and also more importantly, why? Because here again, I feel like admission people just sort of fail sometimes in in explicating like. They'll tell you how they're doing things and pretty straight up about that, but they don't really kind of peel it back one more layer and say, and this is why. And I think when, when you explain that, anybody can appreciate it. I mean, anybody in business, anybody kind of out in the community can say, yeah, I get that. I understand why that's important. Um, they can do the work academically, but they're going to actually contribute to classroom conversation. They're going to have interesting conversations in the dorms. Like, they're going to be an alum who is going to, you know, proliferate the brand, create opportunities, and basically reflect well back on the school. Who, who would absolutely, want totally agree. Yeah, and there's so many other parts that we're not covering today. For example, the wait list and how those get handled and whatnot. You can check those out on part one. Um, the last part of the book here, though, Rick, you talk about making a choice, and that's not to be discounted, right? It's not such an easy uh, part of the process. Now, it's true. And I mean, we all struggle with that on some level, um, just decision making, right? And first of all, it's it's interesting that this is like, everybody brings their own, you know, there's that term, like, don't borrow trouble. Um, <laughs> you know, just like, it's kind of funny, because initially, it's like, oh, man, where do I apply? And that's the stress. And then will I get in? And that's the stress. And then it's like, the stress is I got choices, right? <laughs> which I find kind of ironic because that was the whole goal all along, right. <laughs> you know, is to have options. Um, but actually, I borrowed something from our experience at Leadership Georgia. Um, I don't know if you remember this or not, but we were listening to the guy who's the Secretary of um, Agriculture. Yep, down here. south Georgia. Yeah, and he said, you know, he 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 really. Something that he said really resonated with me, which is like, we get to do this exactly, um, and instead of we have to. And I think that, I mean, we worked that in there and it's this idea like when, when kids get admitted, one of the biggest things they 
they do and and families too sometimes is it's like well you it was just wherever like we kind of knew you were going to get in there and we try to turn that a little bit and say like every time you get admitted man celebrate that because it's a big win again, a, it's a right? win totally and and perspective is in world population, so few people get to go to college. Um, and so, look, man, you have that privilege. You have that opportunity. You worked hard to get there. So it's not just X college or X university. It is it is an opportunity. So celebrate that. You get to do that. Um, kind of starting there. And then one of the things that we kind of say is, look, you got to go back to your why. You know, you got to use that touchstone. Um, and we try to give people some rails to run on to work through um, sort of these numbers that schools love to throw out. Right. Um, and uh, I mean, I'll tell you, once we put admits on the streets, like we go into hardcore cell mode. Um, and so one of the things we try to give people is an ability to sort of like, you know, just settle in a little bit and come back together, which is key as a family. And then when all this like yield, what we call yield, like trying to convert kids from admit to deposit um, is, is barraging you, it's like, okay, no, let, let's reframe what really matters to us. Um, running the numbers on finances, really coming back to what's the, the goal and the purpose. And I think that helps people a lot with, all right, hey, you got into this really selective, highly ranked school, but you know, it's going to cost X. And and is that really worth it? Um, for us, not what, what does the world say or not does, what's that, how's that going to look? But, you know, is that really the right choice for, for our family? Yeah. And one thing I've absolutely noticed is just about every college has just amped up tremendously their tours process, their guest services on campus when you come to visit, the experience you have when it's parents visit weekend. I mean, like it's like it's recruiting. I mean, you're recruiting those students and those families to be part of the the college's family. Yeah. Well and and part of that is, I mean, look, it plays into rankings and yield rates pump tie into bond ratings and and the uh, security of the school. So, I mean, there's a lot of... Wow, um, that's interesting. There's a lot of like behind the scenes motivations that that drive that, you know? That's awesome. All right. So, Rick, where can everyone find your book? Where can they check you out? Where can they go do and review the try this sections and talk about this yeah. sections? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and first of all, thanks for having me. Of course. Um, just for the conversation. <laughs> um, you're right. At the And one of the things we appreciate, uh, tried to work in here is like you said at the end of each chapter we try to give people this dialogue and right you know, one of the things i find Make is it they real. Just sometimes bring it to that's life, right and they know? just need guiding questions you know like they can have these conversations but they just need someone to kind of walk them through it and that's that's all we're trying to do um amazon is the best place to find it uh is the easiest i mean people could go to johns hopkins website um, <laughs> but <laughs> i would just encourage go to amazon um truth about college admission and then i am on Twitter, which is Clark, the number two college, uh, oh, Clark nice. two college. Tell them about your blog then, too. Your blog's amazing. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we do a weekly blog. Uh, it's, it, it's on the admission homepage for Georgia tech. So admission.gotech.edu. And it's not uh, just see. about Georgia tech. Like the content is relevant to anybody. It's awesome. It's basically never about Georgia. Tech. <laughs> um, <laughs> I promise you'll get plenty of laughs from it too. 
<laughs> yeah, we have fun writing it. And since I started working on the book, we've pulled a bunch of other people in. So I'm writing like every third week. Um, and that's really been great for our staff because they're they're also they're part of it. Now. You know, they're they're great and, and got good insight. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. We get to do this. I think that's like that, that's cool that you leverage that. Um, all right. Hey, Rick, so cool that you're back on the podcast. Excited for your book. And thanks again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Justin. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.